Jeff Bezos didn't buy this asset because he wants to replace the CEO every five or 10 years. He wants to have someone who he trusts in that seat for a very long time, who can groom a successor to help at the next turn in the track. And I imagine that that will be the thing that he's thinking about when he makes his decision. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, October 23rd, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I discuss Jeff Bezos narrowing his search for a new CEO at the Washington Post to two finalists. Which of them can guide the Post into a new digital era and keep Bezos happy at the same time? And we discuss the difficulty of reporting on the war between Israel and Hamas and how news organizations are struggling with faulty headlines and single source reporting while competing against the misinformation swamping our social media feeds. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. If it's Monday, of course, it's Media Monday. And I'm joined today by John Kelly, who, John, I'm going to see you tonight. Yeah. In Washington, D.C., the District of Disaster. Why am I going to be with you in person? You want to tell the tell the listeners? Well, Peter, I don't want to steal your thunder. I can't wait to see you and Ron Klain, former chief of staff, Joe Biden, among many other accomplishments, at the top of the hay with that beautiful window overlooking 1600 Pennsylvania and a room filled with, oh my God, I mean, some of the most powerful people in Washington, dignitaries, ambassadors, members of Congress, the in crowd at the White House, the the in crowd at Puck, and exalted others from the higher calling of private equity, the Washington commanders, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be a great night, and um, I can't wait to see you in person. I'm looking forward to it as well. Maybe we'll end up downstairs at the off the record bar afterwards and everything will remain off the record of course john we talked last media monday about the hunt for new leadership at the washington post a new ceo specifically someone to run the business and then to be kind of ambassador for the company you know at least in washington but also beyond and dylan 
has reported that the search has narrowed to two names and Jeff Bezos has interviewed two people. This is according to Dylan. One of them is someone that Dylan earlier identified as someone in the hunt, Josh Steiner, an advisor to Bloomberg LP. He's an investor. And then also somebody named Will Lewis, who was CEO of Dow Jones, uh, also worked at the Wall Street Journal. He also launched something I actually think is kind of cool, um, a Gen Z-focused media newsroom called The News Movement, which basically tries to create authoritative but you know short-form entertaining news video for Gen Z because they desperately need good content and relevant content. Anyway, um, I'm curious what your take is on these two finalists, Josh Steiner and Will Lewis. It's so interesting. This search began with a lot of names, and, and it was a, a traditional crowd, but there were, you know, mixed in, as is often the case, were a number of people who seemed like they were kind of real peripheral contenders. I think I've told you, I, I sort of always assumed at some point that they would have, at least at some turn along the bend, tried to consider someone from technology or from an adjacent industry. But at the end of the day, and I think this is the right decision, they're looking at people who've run news businesses. And I will admit to you that I was not familiar really with, with the CVs of either of these very, very impressive candidates. You know, Steiner, as we talked about before on, on this show, is, you know, a sort of polymath uh, MD from Lazard, also worked at the Treasury Department, and also worked for Mike Bloomberg, which at Bloomberg LP, which I think is a, a very mm-hmm. important detail, as, uh, as you put it the other week, relevant. Uh, I think it's highly relevant. <laughs> um, and, and Lewis is, um, I think, is sort of like a slightly um, 1B Mark Thompson. CEO of Dow Jones, was a publisher of the journal. He's on the board of the AP. You know, it it sounds like he's sort of created a third act style um, media business that may not be... um, that he, he could easily walk away from or, or, or may have been, you know, I'm sure that he believed in it deeply, but it's also um, a, a sort of potential virtue signaling entity that you start if you ever want to be in the position to, to take a job like being the CEO of the Washington Post company. Anyway, long story short, both of these guys are incredibly and compellingly, I think, head and shoulders above the other, many of the other competitors who were in the search. And it reassures me that they sort of stayed true to first principles here, which was they wanted to have somebody who could handle the heat. And I think that mm-hmm. when, you know, when we look back at the, the Fred Ryan era, he was an old school publisher. You know, he was somebody who, who really, really, really looked the part, but wasn't actually a transitional figure who, you know, could lead the post from analog to digital to subscription to multi-revenue. You know, I'm not saying he didn't achieve many of those things. The, the, the post was was nowhere in the subscription business. And, and during his, you know, tenure, I think we reached heights of around 3 million paid. So there's a, a lot of credit and, and Bezos would not be setting him up with a sinecure if he didn't believe that, that he was responsible for all that. But but these guys seem like they're much more suited to what uh, what recruiters and investors call digital transformation, which is sort of mm-hmm. taking a step back and letting the numbers do the talking while also being capable of knowing how to answer the phone when it's the White House or there's a reporter who's in trouble in foreign territory. And, and it's, these are really, really hard jobs. So uh, I'm impressed. What do you think in the interview process like impresses Jeff Bezos? I mean, Will Lewis has like the world's longest Wikipedia entry. He's knighted. You know, he seems like someone who is like high society, 
in the UK, which would impress a lot of people. I'm not sure Jeff Bezos, or maybe it would. Bezos certainly likes being famous, that's for sure. And then it seems like Steiner is more of a low-key personality, certainly effective uh, given his reputation. But those seem like two very different kinds of people if you dig into it just from a personality level. Do you think Bezos would be impressed by one or the other? I think it's it's probably very hard to impress someone like Jeff Bezos, although I, actually I think you'd be yeah. surprised by how uh, how modest some billionaires really are. Uh, here's what I would hypothesize he wants. Structure is everything, and the structure here is very clear. He is the sole owner. He is the board. He is the audience of one. He wants somebody mm. who will run this company and allow it to grow over time, it's a captive investment. He's not selling this asset ever. He wants mm-hmm. it to be profitable. He wants to invest in it. If it's losing money, as, it, as you know, it's losing $100 million a year, he, he is, you know, they're laying off 250 people to reverse that. But he wants slow, steady growth. Look how they grew Amazon. You know, it was not profitable mm-hmm. for a very, very long time, but it captured market share and, and built a moat. So I presume that Bezos prefers the low and slow approach here. And I presume he prefers realism. I mean, it sounds like one of the real things that got Ryan into trouble here was that he was at the end of his tenure trying to impress the boss, trying to concoct or foment these, I think we call them rose-tinted projections last week, but numbers, revenue forecasting that was unrealistic. And I think Bezos wants someone that he can completely totally trust and i can tell you i've been in rooms uh with some people like this never jeff bezos and they want a partner it's clear who's in charge there has to be complete and total honesty and there isn't a billionaire worth his salt who wouldn't love to own an asset like this and continue to invest in it over time make it more and more valuable you know when you're someone who's as, as accomplished and smart as jeff bezos business is simple Tell me what's rationally working and let's invest in that. Tell me what's not and let's fix it. And let's make sure that that dialogue is completely transparent and private uh, at the same time. And you've got your partner. And so I imagine that at this stage, and again, like, who am I to channel Jeff Bezos? But here I go, lo and behold, trying to do just that, that he will make a value judgment between two incredibly capable people. There is a contrast between them. Lewis, you know, has worked for Murdoch, has, has run an actual news organization. Steiner is, you know, news organization adjacent. Doesn't mean he can't mm-hmm. do it. And guys like Bezos want final candidates who present a contrast. It's a lot easier to make mm-hmm. a decision. And I think that he will figure out which one do I trust with this asset over a long period of time. Uh, again, I, I'm uh, existing here in the realm of the hypothetical, but one thing I can hypothesize with a fair amount of assurance is Jeff Bezos didn't buy this asset because he wants to replace the CEO every five or 10 years. He wants to have someone yeah, who's in the seat for a long time. <laughs> right. Yeah, he wants to have someone who he trusts in that seat for a very long time who can groom a successor to help uh, at, at the next turn in the track. And I imagine that um, that will be the thing that he's thinking about when he makes his decision. All right, John, I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about some of the Reporting, good and bad, coming out of Gaza.
Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the Powers of Be, everybody. It's Media Monday. John, I want to talk about a topic that's not controversial at all, which is the war between Israel and Hamas. We're recording this uh, over the weekend by the time it airs. Much might have changed. One of the things that really, really got people's attention in media circles and Twitter last week was the bombing, the quote bombing, uh, which turned out, according to U.S. and Israeli sources, at least to be an errant missile from Islamic Jihad. There was a common headline on the story when it first broke. The New York Times uh, initially went with, quote, Israeli strikes kill hundreds in hospital Palestinians say. That was the New York Times. Other news organizations also tweeted that headline with that. The New York Times paired it with a photograph of a collapsed building that was not the hospital. But if you were just scrolling through social media, it left you with the impression that, yes, Israel did bomb a hospital. And this was circulated by Hamas and other you know, Arab, Arab nations and, and sympathetic groups as evidence that Israel was committing war crimes members of the American left, including Rashida Tlaib, also uh, tweeted it and said Israel is, (laughs) you know, bombing uh, civilians and Joe Biden's not doing enough to stop it. Uh, She left that 
tweet of hers up. I believe it's still up uh, as of this recording. I'm just curious, like Dylan referred to it in his coverage of this as the fog of war, where you're just trying to sort out facts and events in real time. And, you know, that's going to lead to errors. That's sort of what traditional newsrooms would say in these situations. You know, I was texting with somebody uh, in Washington the other day about this. When I was at CNN a long time ago, we had this platform called iNews. And iNews would populate the wire services, Reuters, AP, IFP. And they would come in and they would beep. They'd beep, 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 according to the level of seriousness of the story. And a story like this one would go beep, like across the newsroom. It would light up everyone's computers. Everyone would hear it. It would be red, highlighted red, bright red. And it would say uh, something similar. Palestinian health ministry says XYZ. That program was developed for newsrooms to take that information, put context around it, work to confirm it, and basically act as something of a filter before a headline like that would get out into public view. That doesn't work in the social media era. Basically cutting and pasting one side of a story as a headline out onto your website, onto social media, and then making the mistake of pairing it with an image that is not the same, that is just like custom built for people to take something out of context, especially in this era when everyone is really using motivated reasoning to confirm their priors and say, see, look how bad they are. I'm just curious what you thought about this so-called fog of war and the, the tenor of the coverage and the backlash that some of some of these news organizations got last week for running with that initial piece of information. Well, you know, the fog extends. I think that after Dylan reported that, you know, Matt had an item in, in what I'm hearing that pointed out that one of the most senior, if not the, you know, the most sort of seasoned CAA agent, uh, Ma Dahil, who uh, is on the board, I think I'm unfortunately mispronouncing your name, but I don't mean to, mm-hmm. um, uh, an eminence of all eminence. I mean, someone whose name you hear uh, shouted out at Oscar night, you know, uh, sent out an Instagram post that was in- instantly regrettable. And so mistakes were made everywhere. And I feel like they were made and each one sort of didn't, I don't want to say covered over the last one, but there were so many that it, mm-hmm. it actually, it, it extended the fog. And, and look, if we, if, if the house Republicans weren't, setting new levels of ineptitude, we, we'd still be talking about the Rashida Tlaib's Instagram post, which stayed up for days. And it actually it made me think, not to not to zoom out too far back, but for those of us who worked in professional media, when social media really got off the ground, and I sort of uh, started my career just like you when when that was happening, professional media missed social media because I think professional media assumed that this was the preferred venue for communicating, that, that people trusted news, they trusted brands they knew, they, they, they trusted people who wore makeup on television or, or, or you know, journalists whose, whose work was um, published in, in Times New Roman on, on gray paper. And that was a mis- <laughs> that was a misjudgment, a profound one that, that you know, for, worth trillions of dollars. But mm-hmm. I do think that the cacophony in in these moments, the the true mistakes, and there were mistakes made by the, the most august places um, that are you know were, were stomach turning. I do think that we're we're sort of in the like second or third inning of a very very long trend back to professional media. I think mm-hmm. that the influencer that's a, a now a catch all term that that sort of is diffuse enough to cover a, a just about 
anyone from, you know, batshit crazy people who have views that no one agrees with to a single entity, uh, you know, journalistic operators. That's getting professionalized before our very eyes. And I hope that, you know, we now we now recognize the, the inherent flaws in our multi-channel world. But I, I'm hopeful that in 10, 15, 20 years, which is a long time, it's all actually ossified and been professionalized. And I think that when you see small uh, little sort of macroeconomic uh, events like Google and Meta pulling out of news, it's because they recognize that there's a, a new ecosystem in front of us where uh, there are going to be new brands, they're going to communicate in new ways. And it's going to become more professionalized because nobody likes this. It's a disaster for everyone to compete on speed and, and outrage. I'm hopeful that you're right, that this will lead toward sort of a reorganization of media and people will be less inclined to trust what flies across their feeds. But, you know, I, I'm a little worried. I've done some reporting on this, too, that's up today on, on the best and the brightest I'm worried about like the younger generation that has just come of age, like living in their social media feeds and grabbing headlines that validate their prior political views. Um, people have long, long, long not read past like the first one or two paragraphs or even the headline of a story, let alone, you know, making it to the next day when they go back and, and like find a correction. So I'm just troubled by all of it. I mean, stuff just goes out there. It's too good to check, but I do think that some big mainstream media organizations were caught flat-footed on this and continue, by the way, at least according to some tweets I'm seeing from reporters, I saw one from the LA Times just yesterday, not trusting Biden, not trusting the state of Israel. And, and like, look, the natural state of journalists going back to Vietnam and Watergate should be skepticism, but it's a weird kind of backflip defense into defending their original reporting about <laughs> Israel bombing a hospital in Gaza. It's just very, very tough and complicated when it plays out in real time. And and this is the other thing too, like this is again more of an individual impulse on the part of reporters than official newsroom behavior. But people like double down, like once they've tweeted something. Like it's very hard these days for people to admit defeat, correct a mistake, delete a tweet. Like NBC News disinformation reporter Ben Collins, who's, by the way, been criticized for just being like basically like a progressive activist at this point and like going after Elon Musk all the time and like not necessarily being a dispassionate reporter sorting through what's real and what's not on the mud of the Internet. But, you know, he tweeted the headline about Israel bombing the hospital and left it up and defended it by saying, like, this is the first headline that I saw. And it's important. I just wanted to get it out there quickly. That's like the opposite <laughs> of how journalists should behave. Uh, and it's not just journalists. I mean, you see this from people in politics, activists, just people who live on the Internet. It's very hard for people to admit they were wrong. Yeah. You know, this is also one of those moments, too. And I don't want to uh, play remember when, but everything is business models. And when events like this happen, you, you can't not think back that, you know, to the sort of Bill Keller era of mm. media when these businesses were robust based on classified ads and they had bureaus everywhere and the information was by and large and with some exceptions that you, know, you pointed out Vietnam, Matthew Cooper, that you know that that sort of Hal Raines era of the times but were by and large mm -hmm. phenomenally profoundly like just overarchingly uh, competent and and thorough 
and the the remodeling of the business that we talk about all the time on the show you know the the Salzburger cop at Levin Mark Thompson uh, opportunity that, that, that turned the New York Times from a uh, pure news gathering pure play into a essentially a lifestyle business that had um, that supported a news gathering business something's got lost in the shuffle and um, yeah. that just is what it is and you you, you it, it's tragic in some ways and you hope that there is a model that can focus on solving that problem because when events like this take place you just realize how much less professional uh, some parts of, of um, non DC focused news gathering are than they used to be we make fun of these um, images that we have in our mind of these you know swashbuckling foreign correspondents but uh, there was a level of expertise and discipline that I think has been lost in certain cases. Yeah. And like the platforms too, like they obviously bear some blame here. Uh, I mean, like, like meta announced months ago, they were scaling back their <laughs> content moderation efforts ahead of 2024. And then just the other day they were like, Oh, we got to reinvest in like doing some content moderation around this Israel Hamas <laughs> stuff. And it's just like, it's been whackable like that for them for years and years and years. And then, you know, obviously, you see people uh, lamenting Twitter as a source of credible news. Obviously, getting rid of of the blue checkmark verification system has made it even worse. But Twitter was never a great place to begin with <laughs> when it comes to even before Elon Musk, when it came to finding credible information. I mean, when I was at Harvard last week, this topic came up at the Shorenstein Center when we were sort of knocking around ideas and. You know, I was living in Cambridge when the Boston bombing happened. And, you know, people forget that Reddit and Reddit, which has since done a pretty good job of cleaning up or, or sort of moderating content. Uh, but Reddit was a cesspool of conspiracy theories and that stuff leaked into Twitter. And back then, like and I was at CNN at the time, I could see in real time how the fact checkers and the reporters within CNN were confirming or denying or knocking down the stuff that was getting passed around from Twitter and from Reddit. And so you know, that was 2013. It's, it's, it's much worse now. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the trust in across mainstream media has gone down, including at places like CNN. And that makes people more inclined just to grab onto whatever link they feel suits their perspective. John, thank you for joining me, buddy. I will see you this evening for cocktails. See you at the top of the hay. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.